0: Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Blue Stocking Baptist podcast. My name is Hannah, and I'm here with my co-host, Esther. Last episode, we discussed what our standard is, the Bible. This week, we're going to discuss what the gospel is. The gospel is a message. It is a message about how man obtains salvation and what God has done for us. The word gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. The prefix eu refers to something pleasant or good. The word angelios or angelion is the Greek word for message. So euangelion means good message or good news. The gospel message is for unbelievers and believers alike. For the unbeliever, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And for the believer, it is a means in which God uses by his Holy Spirit to equip, sustain, encourage, remind, build up, sanctify, and grow us in holiness. It cannot be neglected, and it must be understood rightly. So for starters, we want to be clear that the gospel message does not belong to us, nor does it come from us. The gospel is God's idea, and it is His message. As believers, we are commanded to proclaim the gospel message, and we want to do so in a way that does not compromise the truth of the gospel. So we must be watchful of how we explain the gospel to others and take much time to study what the gospel is. Charles Spurgeon said, If the Lord's bearing our sins for us is not the gospel, I have no gospel to preach. He also said elsewhere, the heart of the gospel is redemption, and the essence of redemption is the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. We believe that there is nothing of greater importance than the gospel and getting it right. So today we're going to explore what the gospel is from start to finish. I'm going to open up our discussion with a Bible verse to guide the conversation. Our text today is 1 Corinthians fifteen, three through 11. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So this is Paul writing, this is Paul
1: speaking here in 1 Corinthians, where he is writing his first letter to the church of Corinth, and he is reminding them of the gospel that he describes as being of first importance, so not an afterthought, not something to be included once in a while, but of first importance. So front and center, he presents the gospel. and. Um, I think it's important to go through this passage in sections um, so that we can best get the full picture of the gospel um, and define first who Christ is, because um, it says that, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to scriptures. So who is Christ? Well, Christ is God incarnate, truly God, truly man. And we see this in John one. 1 where John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We also see in verse 14 that John says, and the word became flesh and dwell among us, and we see his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this here shows that um, who, who Christ was. Um, he wasn't just a man. He was God incarnate, God in the the flesh, and later on we'll show, uh, we hope to show why that was crucial to the gospel um, and makes the gospel possible. Um, Christ is also the promised seed of the woman from Genesis um, chapter 3 that God promised would come um, through the lineage of the woman, uh, the woman being Eve, one of our first parents. And also important that we define sin. Our understanding of sin and our sinfulness really affects how we uh, look to the gospel. Um, So sin is transgression of God's law, whether by thought, word, or deed. So Hannah, would you like to maybe give an example of how somebody could be a transgressor of God's law by our thoughts?
0: Yeah, so there's an example in the New Testament. Jesus says that um, if you have ever hated a brother, you have murdered them in your heart. Or he gives another example. If you have ever lusted after a woman, you have become an adulterer. So both murder and adultery are actions. But Jesus is saying that you can commit adultery and murder through your thought so that's a way in which just two examples we can transgress god's law by thought and we all have transgressed his law by thought so yeah
1: yeah and then um by being maybe a transgression of the law by our word would be like telling lies or withholding truth um and then uh, for deeds that could be idolatry or murdering someone or fornication or adultery that would be like a a not a passive but an active act of transgressing against God's law. And Hannah you kind of just said it that we're all transgressors or uh lawbreakers um and which makes us in sin. And scripture tells us that there is no one who's without sin. So uh there's no one righteous, no not one that's it from Romans uh chapter three, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Death is the punishment for sin. We see that in Genesis 2, God curses all of creation due to Adam and Eve's sin in the Garden of Eden. All of creation since the fall has been tainted by sin. Death entered the picture. Sin resulted in spiritual death as well as physical death of mankind.
0: I also just want to add that The Ten Commandments are the moral law in which we will be judged. So I just wanted to show what we mean by when we say law. The law is God's moral law found um, in the Ten Commandments. Right. Right. Which we're all guilty of breaking in some way or another.
1: So since the fall, we are born spiritually dead or separate from God due to our sin nature that we inherited from our first parents. And we've got a lot of good scriptures that, um, that back this up. And I'm just going to kind of go through them really quickly. Romans chapter five, verse 12. And I'm going to go to 19 also says sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned by the one man's disobedience. The many were made sinners. Psalm 51 five says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Genesis eight twenty one The Lord said in his heart I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Uh, Psalm fifty eight three says the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth speaking lies. John three six that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Mark seven twenty one through twenty three says four from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Psalm 10.4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Romans three nine through twelve says, "What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one." And that was actually us. Uh, you know, Romans three there is quoting Psalm fourteen. John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And lastly, Isaiah 53, 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way.
0: So all of these verses that Esther just read show how we all die physically at the end of our lives but after physical death we enter into eternity. So on our own merit, we will all face a penalty of eternal death and condemnation because the good works or righteous acts we do in comparison with God's holiness are like filthy rags. And that can be found in Romans 10 and Isaiah 64, six. So all of these verses are showing how, how all men are wicked. All men from birth are born with a sin nature And no one is righteous. No, not one. So we are... Utterly hopeless, and there's no way for us to perfectly keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments, to atone for our own sins or be made right with God by our own efforts or good works. So all of these verses show that we're utterly hopeless, utterly sinful, and in need of a savior. So we're gonna read a couple more verses um, to kind of show how no one is justified by the law. So Romans 3:20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Proverbs 15, 8 says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Romans 8, 7 through 8 says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And the flesh in that context is our, our sinful nature, who we are in, um guess, or do yeah, do you kind of want to explain that? What yeah. our flesh um, is?
1: Yeah, that would be um, like our the nature that we're born with. Um, the Back up to John yeah. 3, 6, um, it, that was one of the verses that I read earlier that it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Um, and back to our first parents, Adam and Eve, whenever they sinned in the garden, um, what we inherit from them is their sinful nature. That, um, that nature is is our flesh uh, oftentimes in scripture it's defined as the the flesh and the the thing the ones who are set on the flesh are hostile to god
0: yes so bringing up first corinthians fifteen nine through 11 again we're going to kind of talk about what is the gospel that transformed paul who was once a persecutor of Christians, what saved him and what was he saved from. So Paul was saved by God alone and he was saved from the wrath of God. Paul himself says in Philippians three, that if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which comes from the law, found blameless. So here Paul shows us that he could have boasted in his flesh and his works, because he was a very righteous man on the outside. However, he continues and shows us how it wasn't enough to be reconciled to God. Continuing, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. But that." which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection of the dead so now referring back to the text that Esther has already read Paul acknowledges Romans 3:20 which he also wrote that no one is able to be justified by the law. So though he appeared blameless according to the law and the law in this context is the whole law that includes civil, ceremonial and moral. The Jews had a what is it? threefold division of the law or yeah, yeah, threefold division of the law. So they had they had the full law and we Esther and I are only referring to what's binding on Christians today is the moral law, which is the Ten Commandments. But um, so going back, according to the law, he appeared blameless. And um, however, he was still born with a sin nature, and he was still a guilty lawbreaker. It says elsewhere in James 2.10, for whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. So the question now becomes, if we're not saved by the law how are we saved and right now with what we only know it seems pretty hopeless because we understand that we are born in sin and we all have broken god's law so how are we going to be reconciled to god when we are so unworthy and just the wretches that we are so we're told in ephesians 2 8 through 9 that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of work so that no one may boast. But where does this gift of salvation come from? What saves us is the crucified Lord who takes upon him the sin of his people and in return gives us his blood imputed to those of us who believe. The Latin word imputation is an accounting term and it means to apply to one's account. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and willingly died in our place. Jesus took upon himself our sin on the cross and offers his perfect righteousness to all who believe in him. So there's a double imputation taking place. Jesus takes our sin, and then he gives us his righteousness. This can be found in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where Paul states, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So when we accept Jesus Christ's atonement as a sufficient sacrifice to reconcile us to God, we are then justified. The doctrine of justification essentially means just as if we never sinned. We are imputed Christ's righteousness, and then we are justified by God. We are reconciled, and we are no longer under the wrath of God. So to restate everything that I just said, God the Son became a man, lived a perfect life, and was crucified. God the Father placed the sin of his people on Christ and poured his wrath against sin onto Christ. This is called the substitutionary atonement, and it is the central doctrine of Christianity. Without it, There is no Christianity. So sin was placed onto Christ and Christ's righteousness is imputed to those who come by grace to faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So I'm going to read a quote by John MacArthur in his book, The Gospel According to God. On page 108, he says, Despite the unsettling overtones in that message, it is good news. In fact, there is no more glorious good news. It explains why God does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities in Psalms 103.10. He has not compromised his own righteousness. He does not merely overlook our transgressions. Rather, he fully satisfied justice and put away our sin forever through the death of his Son. As far as the East is from the West, so far does he remove our transgressions from us which is a quote of Psalms one hundred and three twelve. Now, grace can truly reign through righteousness, Romans 5, 21, and God can be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, Romans 3, 26. So Esther, do you want to um, read some verses about the atonement and um, verses on imputation? Yes, we've got a couple here. Um, so we have
1: Matthew one twenty one says that she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And John one twenty nine says the next day he saw Jesus he being John the Baptist he saw Jesus coming to him and said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. First Peter three eighteen says for Christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Romans chapter three, verse 21 through 28 says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. but by a law of faith for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I will come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to accomplish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he had perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Another crucial aspect of the gospel, so far we've read that Christ died to atone for sin, but the, another aspect of the gospel that is you know, crucially important is that he rose from the dead on the third day, um, which was fulfillment of prophecy. It demonstrates his dominion and that his atonement satisfied the wrath of God. We've got some verses to, to, sh- to sh- demonstrate that also.
0: So I'll start reading them. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of people to be most pitied. by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans 6, 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Romans 4, 24 through 25 says, Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Right. So now we're going to talk about
1: the effects of the gospel what we read earlier in First Corinthians 15, we saw that Paul explained that who he was by the grace of God and um, the gospel, we know that the gospel transforms lives, lives, the good news of the gospel transforms lives. And we're going to see how the gospel shapes our lives.
0: Yes. So I also just want to add that on a side note, we don't have these written down in our verses um that we're going to read but John 3 talks about um Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be reborn so the transformation is very real compared to like a baby being born so you, you pass from death into life when you trust the gospel. You were dead and now you are alive. The Bible says elsewhere that we are new creations in Christ. So I'm going to read some verses. Titus 3, 3-9 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, "'And you were dead in trespasses and sin.'" By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 says, "'Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence "'to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus,' By the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through the flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging. Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, all of these verses we feel show the before and the after effects of the gospel. So, the before we're in sin, transgressors, and then the after, once the regeneration of the Holy Spirit has changed us and we have laid hold of what Jesus has accomplished by faith, we are now made new creatures. And um, all of these texts kind of show that. The result of the gospel creates in us a desire to do good works, and we're now growing in holiness and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Esther, do you want to add anything about those verses? Just
1: to kind of go back to the passage that we started with, with Paul's, that's exactly what, you know, you know, Paul is speaking about where he says that by the grace of God, he says, I am who I am, because he said that he was a, a persecutor of the church. So he was in like the complete, you know, opposite direction of, you know, what would please God. And his life was completely transformed. Um, and this here, he reminds other saints in other places of the world and different churches of the gospel and how that gospel affects our lives.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the next thing that Esther and I kind of want to talk about are our testimonies. We really want to share that the testimonies are not the gospel, but they are good frames for sharing the gospel. In the future, we do desire to do an episode on how to share the gospel with friends, family, and strangers. And so testimonies can be used, but um, we just kind of want to share what the Lord has done in our lives. So, um, and really our testimonies are how we
1: came to believe the true gospel. That's yes. really what, how I would, how I define, you know, our testimonies. It's not our, you know, how God fixed our lives. It's how we came to understand what, who Christ is and what he has done. So I grew up going to many different churches. Um, we did not have a, I guess what you call a home church. Um, so I never had, time or the opportunity to be really evangelized to or discipled i never had deep roots anywhere i did not the gospel was not something that was emphasized to me the fact that i was a sinner i believe that i was a false convert for until i was 15 years old I had created a, a Christianity that was very rules oriented, where um, uh, I kind of stayed away from things that were quote like bad, <laughs> you know. That I tried to you know follow the Ten Commandments, and I read the Bible because it was something that Christians Christians did, um, and. It was whenever I was 15 that my parents started having marital problems, and I looked to God for a solution. I prayed, you know, you know ask God to help my family and to fix my family, and it didn't happen. And um, so I blamed God, and I was like, you know, God, why are all these bad, you know, why is this bad thing happening to my family if I'm such a good person, or so I thought, <laughs> the Lord really used that situation to show me, um, my own sin. Um, we stopped going to church altogether together around that same time. And I was still doing my little, my little Bible studies. I wasn't really getting much out of them. <laughs> I wasn't learning really, but the Lord used first John chapter one to convict me. It, it's a, passage that explains that if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you are walking in darkness, then you're just deceiving yourself. And I realized that I was deceiving myself into believing that I was a Christian and that I had a relationship with God, a saving faith. And that is when I I really felt the weight of my sin. I, I knew that I needed a savior because I could not do it. It was like a like a hamster wheel where I just keep running and running and running <laughs> trying to outrun my sin and it would I, I knew that if I kept doing that it would just swallow me whole. And I was really thankful that God used that that Bible study to show me that. And progressively I started realizing that I needed to get discipled. I needed discipleship. I needed somebody to teach, you know, I needed Christian fellowship and as soon as I could I I joined a church, a uh, a church that taught the Bible, you know, to be discipled. I needed accountability for, you know, sin. I know that after reading scripture that that, that, that is crucial to the Christian life, that we're you were not saved to, you know, just keep continuing to do on you know, do what we're doing, but we're we're saved to as, as scripture pointed out earlier, saved for, for good works. And I knew that without being connected to a local body, that um, that would be disobedience to God. But I am so grateful for um, God intervening in my life and convicting me of my sins because I knew I mean like all throughout high school I was known as like the the good girl and I had really built out built up a sense of like self righteousness and um even really harshly judged my now husband all throughout high school because I was a a quote good good person so I'm just it's amazing that God took me out of that and and showed me that only Christ is perfect and that I need him every day. I need his his um righteousness every day. So Hannah, would you like to share your testimony?
0: <laughs> yes. Actually some aspects of yours um are similar to mine, but so for me, I was raised in a Christian home. Um as far back as I can remember, I've always loved Jesus. Um, I can remember as early as six or seven sharing the gospel with a friend at a sleepover and warning her of coming judgment if she didn't believe in Jesus. (laughs) I was very young to be doing this, but um, to me, that does show that I did understand enough. Even as a very young child, she was super rattled and ended up calling her mom to her room who comforted her by saying, sweetheart, good people don't go to H-E double hockey sticks. And I remember so vividly crying myself to sleep that night and praying that she would come to Jesus. Um, As far as I know, this childhood friend still doesn't know Jesus. But this is just an example that for me, Jesus has always been someone – Um, Who I've trusted and believed in I sometimes tell people that just as a baby does not know the hour in which It's born unless it's told so I do not know the hour of my regeneration However, a baby does not need to be told the hour it is born to know that it is alive And so I also do not need to know the hour because I know that I was reborn and that I am alive in Christ so that also doesn't mean that my Christian walk has been easy my walk has been marked as one of deception and lack of discernment. I won't go into a lot of detail, but I was raised charismatic Pentecostal. Um, I was an Arminian for most of my Christian walk. Um, in high school, similar to Esther, I, um, a lot of the churches that I were raised in, um, I knew the simplicity of the gospel, but there was also a lot of moralism that was kind of getting wrapped up into my understanding. I didn't necessarily believe that I was saved by my works, but I definitely made quite an effort to be pious, which created a lot of self-righteousness, especially in high school. I was very self-righteous, very arrogant and proud. And I also lacked a lot of gentleness. I was harsh with unbelievers and believers alike. um, Very critical of sin in other people's lives. In a way, I was blinded to my own sin. I didn't really feel like I was as bad as other people, but I also knew that Jesus had saved me from my sin. So it was very a weird, weird dynamic. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly enough, I went to a Bible college associated with the restoration movement that taught baptism required for salvation during that time the Lord used that season to really show me um, a deeper understanding of his, his grace. I came to really understand the doctrines of grace and was not expecting that. But uh, I was in the Bible a lot trying to figure out if baptism was required for salvation. And so during that season, I came out with a pretty robust understanding that we are justified by faith and that really encouraged me, even though that situation ended up leaving me pretty bitter and angry for quite a season. It was not not the best situation, but um, also in my adulthood, my husband and I have attended and extremely unhealthy church with no oversight, no elders. So, my walk has been extremely bumpy, but by the grace of God, He has used every season in my life to shape me into the image of the Son. I value every lesson I've learned from seasons of hardship. I have reaped the consequences many times for not exercising discernment, and I have learned that the Word of God needs to be a central aspect of my life or I will continue to be led astray. Um, So today, uh, my husband and I find ourselves, we are members of a very healthy church. Though it has weaknesses, they are faithful to the Word, and the elders take the responsibility to shepherd the flock well. My current season has been one of gladness and joy. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities a lot of opportunity throughout this season to read a lot. And the Lord has used a lot of really solid Christian books to challenge me, expose areas in my life that sin was hiding. And um, so I've just been really thankful because God's been really gracious to me throughout my whole life. And Um, specifically even now, just seeing the things that he's doing in my life and challenging me. It's just really humbling because, I mean, we hope that you have seen through this podcast what the gospel really is, our need for a Savior, um, how we all fall short, and we really do. And I think really coming to grips with our own sinfulness is the beginning of really seeing our desperate need for Jesus. And in that we are humbled and it leads to worship. Um, The gospel truly is a tool of stirring up in believers worship. So yeah, that's my testimony and a little bit added of how I feel about Jesus. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, like, like I was telling you earlier, like a few times during this week, like I've had times where I'd be, you you know, going over some of these verses and it's just like, wow, (laughs) like, you know, God is so gracious and merciful and just amazing to take, you know, us who were, you know, had condemnation on us and to deliver us from that. It's just, it makes you an awe. And like you said, like it, it leads you to worship. It's just, this is a really good, you know, reminder of the gospel and just how how awesome it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a personal devotion yes. for, yeah, for you and I. Um, so yeah, I just want to add that the gospel is also really valuable for believers because we are because as we are pursuing holiness, we can easily grow discouraged when we see that our lives are still filled with sin. So we must remember two things. One, we are no longer slaves to sin. And two, we are now slaves to righteousness. So the gospel encourages us because it's a reminder that we are accepted and loved by God, that we can come to him in repentance and humility, that we can grow in godliness by the Holy Spirit with our hope firmly secured in the gospel message. The gospel helps us to seek God in moments of weakness and be strengthened in that message. It also is a fantastic reminder when we are spiritually strong that we are not trusting in ourselves, but we are trusting solely in the power of God. Um, I also have a book suggestion for those who love to read. It's on the subject of preaching the gospel to yourself every day. The book's called The Gospel for Real Life, Turn to the Liberating Power of the Cross Every Day, and it's by Jerry Bridges. I've read five books by Jerry Bridges this year, and (laughs) they've really benefited me greatly, so I highly recommend this book. Um, I also wanted to leave you with one more quote from an article by R.C. Sproul that can be found on the Ligonier website. I will link it in the podcast notes. R.C. states, the gospel is called the good news because it addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy and he is just and I am not. And at the end of my life, I'm going to stand before a just and holy God and I will be judged. And I'll be judged either on the basis of my own righteousness or lack of it or the righteousness of another. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a, lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for me what I couldn't possibly do for myself, but not only has he lived that perfect life of obedience, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and righteousness of God. The great misconception in our day is this, that God isn't concerned to protect his own integrity. He's a kind of wishy-washy deity who just waves a wand of forgiveness over everybody. No, for God to forgive you is a very costly matter. It costs the sacrifice of his own son. So valuable was that sacrifice that that God pronounced it valuable by raising him from the dead so that Christ died for us. He was raised for our justification So the gospel is something objective. It is the message of who Jesus is and what he did. And it also has a subjective dimension. How are the benefits of Jesus subjectively appropriated to us? How do I get it? The Bible makes it clear that we are justified not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our deeds, but by faith and by faith alone. The only way you can receive the benefit of Christ's life and death is by putting your trust in him and him alone. You do that, you're declared just by God. You're adopted into his family. You are forgiven of all your sins. And you have begun your pilgrimage for all eternity. And I also just want to add that if you don't know Jesus, if you have not accepted by faith what he has accomplished on the cross, atoning for our sins and also rising from the dead, we ask you to believe in this gospel message because this is a matter of where you will be for eternity. Esther and I do believe that hell is a literal and real place and that those who do not have Jesus's righteousness imputed to them will spend eternity in hell, getting what they rightly deserve because no one deserves to go to heaven. And another thing in today's American Christian culture, um, you often hear people saying, well, God just wants us to be fair and to be good and to be kind to one another. And if I'm just a good person, I'll, I'll get to heaven one day. And so people don't turn to Christ. They don't repent of their sins. They don't believe in him to save them. And instead they live their whole lives trying to do the best they can, which is not, will never be enough. And they will find themselves standing at the throne on judgment day, being told away with you. I never knew you because you, you cannot save yourself. Jesus also says that he is the way, the truth and the life and that no one comes to the father except by him. In today's culture, our views of religion, our worldview. We view everything as there's no real truth. Everything's truth. There's multiple ways to God. And so oftentimes you hear people saying, you can believe in the Mormon Jesus and be saved. You can believe in um, the Quran and be saved. You can be a Buddhist and be saved. And Christians very strongly say, no, there is only one way to God and that is found in God's word, the Holy Bible, which is our ultimate standard. And the gospel message is the only way that we are reconciled to God. So um, if you've never heard the gospel before, we hope that it was clear in this podcast. If you have questions and you don't know who to go to, or you want help Um, finding a good church, you are more than welcome to email us. Um, We will also put some resources for where you can find a solid church um, in your area. So yeah, this gospel message is for everyone. We, we hope that you do believe. And for those of you who do believe, we hope that you've been encouraged and reminded of the good work that God's done in your life, that this leads you to rejoicing and celebrating and stirs in you a greater desire to proclaim the good news to others. So our next episode is going to be on discernment,
1: what that is, how we can be discerning. Um, And we also hope to do a future episode on evangelism. That's how to share the gospel with others, how to proclaim the gospel to um, the world around us. Um, We'd love for you, if you liked and enjoyed this podcast to share it with your friends and family. Please rate us on iTunes to help this reach more people. We would really appreciate it if you feel inclined to support us on Patreon. You can do that for just a few dollars a month so we can have this podcast continue. So we have a verse to close us out. Um, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So friends, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Boldly proclaim this beautiful message. God bless you all, and we hope you join us next time.